We are continuing here as we're journeying towards our conclusion in the series in the book of Ephesians. And this week we are looking at Spirit-Filled Marriage Part 2. At the beginning, the end of chapter 4 and beginning of chapter 5, Paul gives this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he gives several different specific instructions that flow out what it means to be filled with the Spirit or what happens when one is filled with the Spirit. This message is part two, um, focusing particularly this week on the wife's responsibility in marriage and what a spirit-filled wife looks like. As I just said, this is part two. There was a part one, which focuses on the nine verses devoted to a husband's responsibility. The two of them go together. If you've got questions that were raised today, they were probably addressed, or hopefully they were addressed in part one. You can listen to those on our website, also on, um, also on iTunes. You can subscribe to our church podcast and um, catch up on the message there. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 this exhortation, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should, should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, we do ask for an outpouring of your spirit, that we would be filled with your spirit, that our marriages would be filled with your spirit, that our homes would be filled with your spirit, that this church would be filled with your spirit. Lord, that we might understand your word, that we might worship you for the beauty of the gospel, and that our lives and our relationships would reflect the amazing things that you have done through Christ Jesus. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Rather unintentionally, at our wedding, at our own, my, Holly and my wedding ceremony, we inadvertently sent shockwaves through our families. We, in our wedding ceremony, had read this, had this scripture passage read as part of our wedding service. Um, the whole passage we had read, and included in that, we also had wedding vows that were based on this passage. Actually, they're historic wedding vows that people have been saying for centuries around the globe um, and for the last two, two millennia. But in the midst of those vows were this, was the line that says here, wives, submit to your husband out of reverence for Christ. My cousin couldn't believe it. As soon as it was said, he, he jumped up in his seat and was like, did, did you hear that? Did you hear what they just said? Oh, it just came out there again. And they're looking at it like, where are we? Where have we landed? In fact, it sent such, such a ripple through our extended families that a portion of one of our families actually wanted us to write the entire um, 
invite list to let them know that such views were not representative of their half of the family as these things were coming through. And so when it comes to this passage where it says, wives submit to your husband out of reverence for Christ, arguably, I don't know, there's no word that creates a greater reaction than this phrase, wives submit to your husbands out of reverence for the Lord. And lest we diminish the wisdom of God or the love of God expressed in this passage or the beauty of the relationship between Christ and the church, let's be careful to understand what Paul is teaching here and also understand how it's been distorted by both human sinfulness, our own reactions, and various cultural distortions. When we examined part one, we looked at the verses where Paul calls Husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to love their wives as they love themselves. We saw that Paul calls, Scripture calls husbands to love their wives with a sacrificial love, with a sanctifying love, and with a selfless love that is committed to serving her needs above his own. And as we come to this passage that focuses on what spirit-filled wives look like in marriage, there's a question here for husbands to be thinking about. And the question for you to be thinking about as we go through this message is not, how can I make sure she's listening to this right now? But rather, how can I make this one of my wife's greatest joys? And so Paul gives in this passage two exhortations and two reasons for the exhortations that he gives. The first exhortation that he gives comes in verse 22. When he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands out of reverence, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There have been many and varied attempts to explain this verse away through a variety of different biblical cartwheels and twists and distortions. And if it was just this one verse in Scripture where the only point that part that was referenced it, there might be a little bit more credence to the idea of this being a cultural expression. However, what Paul is teaching here is something that is present throughout the New Testament. Here in this passage, Paul three times exhorts wives to lay down their will for their husbands. And in Paul's writings, he uses the same and related terminology in at least five other passages in the New Testament, in the book of Colossians, Titus, two chunks in 1 Corinthians, as well as the book of 1 Timothy. In addition to the writings of Paul, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, gives the same exhortation. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, the word of God that is, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Paul, Peter specifically addressing what happens to wives, Christian wives, when their husbands don't follow the word of God. He says, when they see your respect, when they receive your respectful and pure conduct. He continues, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. So the biblical exhortation here is something that is so extensive, it is so comprehensive, and repeated so frequently, it is something that must not be ignored, dismissed, or rationalized away. 
Immediately preceding this passage in verse 21, the Apostle Paul gives this other admonition about being filled with the Spirit, which we looked at uh, two times ago, where he says to them, be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in that time, we examined how the word to submit means to arrange in order, to arrange under another. It's the term used um, in the military for soldiers to submit themselves to the higher rank so that the unit can achieve the mission that they are on. And we have examined how this submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is one of the marks of the Christian life, that those who submit themselves to Jesus Christ find little difficulty in submitting themselves to one another. Paul then, in the rest of Ephesians chapter 5 and into Ephesians chapter 6, goes on to give specific instructions of what it looks like to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ based upon the roles and responsibilities that different people have. So he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, To husbands, the charge is to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Here, wives, submit to your husbands, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, it's helpful to the helpful definition of these two things here in terms of the responsibility of the husband and the responsibility of the wife. Tony Marita gives this articulation of the difference here. Is that husbands are called to love their wives. They are called to put the needs of their spouse ahead of their own needs. And wives are called to submit to their husbands. That they are called to put the will of their husband, of their spouse, ahead of their own. Husbands, put the needs of your spouse ahead of your own. Wives, put the will of your spouse ahead of your own. And that's what he calls us to here, calls them to. Wives, submit to your own husbands, ask to the Lord. A couple clarifications. This does not advocating for the generalized submission of women to men. It's very particular. It's talking about spirit-filled wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, not to anyone else, but to your own husbands. And as to the extent, he says in the later verse, submit to your husbands in everything that is in all areas of life. It's rather comprehensive. And of course, it would be wrong to submit to anything that is sinful or demeaning or degrading or destructive. But the husband is called to serve his wife's needs above his own. And the wife is called to serve her husband's will above her own. And so in matters of judgment, there should be deference given. And wives can take comfort when they disagree, knowing that their husbands have to give an account to the creator of the universe for their conduct as a husband and their leadership within their own family. So that's the first exhortation he gives. He then gives two reasons for it. The first reason is to honor God's design that we'll look at. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You'll notice that verse 31 is in quotes. Paul is basing his admonition here. He is basing his instruction on this verse that he is quoting. And what he is quoting is, comes from Genesis chapter 2, in the creation of the world, in God's design for marriage. And this is what Genesis chapter 2 says. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. 
And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, here's the quote, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That rooted in creation, before sin and brokenness entered into the world, God's design for the creation was that the sun would rise in the east and that it would set in the west. God's design for creation was that when things are thrown into the air, that gravity would cause them to fall. His design for marriage is that husbands and wives were made and designed to complement each one another, to fill one another as they came together as one flesh, not only physically, but in the union of their souls together. Paul reflects upon it, he says, this mystery is profound. The mystery of a husband's sacrificial love pouring into his wife, the wife's joyful submission of her husband pouring herself into him, the devotion of one to another, and how there is this mystery that in doing so, God brings about something greater. He brings about the completion of one and another. I think you've probably observed this, this mystery of marriage, that for those who are not gifted for celibacy, which is a wonderful and high calling. But for those who are not, for a husband and wife, is that the two of them are never quite whole. They are never quite whole emotionally, relationally, spiritually, without marital oneness. You've probably observed this, where you've known someone who's gotten married. Maybe they're a Christian, maybe they're not. They get married and you get to know that couple and you see how each one of them has become more themselves by being married. How each one of them, there is a wholeness that is there that wasn't there before that you can look at them and say, wow, they are, they are so much better married than they were apart. Like they work together as such a great team. Like they've meddled it out. They're so joyful. They're so loving to other people. And you can see this. And you've probably seen couples where you look at them and say, it is their relationship is so beautiful. Conversely, and you say it's so beautiful and how each one of them is, is more of themselves, that there's a completion and a wholeness that has occurred. Conversely, when marriages aren't working well or when people are acting selfishly within them, that you can look at those marriages and say, wow, each of them has become more self-absorbed. Each of them actually seems less like themselves than they were before. And that is completely consistent with what the Word of God identifies. That there is this mystery to marriage where there is a oneness when the two are joined together. There is a wholeness that is greater than the sum of the two individuals as both honor the Lord in their marriages and do so above themselves. I think at this point it's helpful for us to understand that there is a difference between a biblical marriage, or there can be a difference, there may be a difference, there often is a difference, between a biblical marriage and traditional marriage. Traditional marriage has very strong divisions of labor, who earns the most money, who does the chores, who cooks, who cleans, who raises the kids, and what have you. But in Scripture, you don't see Scripture as a law book that prescribes divisions of labor. Rather, it gives principles of the heart. That if there is sacrificial, loving leadership of the husband and loving and joyful submission of the wife, that a biblical marriage 
may not look like a traditional marriage. And husbands and wives are called to prayerfully apply, the, apply these principles in their own marriage and in their own situation. I think one example of this is um, a woman by the name of Janet Parshall, who many of you know. She's a radio host. She um, often says very provocative and controversial things, um, some of which you may agree with, some of which you may disagree with. But she is someone who I believe is a woman who is, who is very gifted, who is, amazing, who is very gifted, who is very smart, who is very talented, and who genuinely wants to be used by God and to be obedient to God in her career. And so she is a, and consider this for marriage dynamics. Consider this what this would look like for family situations, what have you. She is a nationally syndicated radio host that has a daily radio program. She has written multiple books. She is a national speaker across the country, and all of and, and, and her effectiveness largely revolves around her personality and her persona. Now think about what that does in a marriage dynamic. Now her husband is an, her husband is an attorney. And so she was asked this question and said, and I'm, I don't have this as an exact quote. I couldn't find the exact quote from the interview, but this is the, the thrust of it pretty accurately. Um, she was asked, asked the question in terms of, okay, Janet, you are a strong, capable, opinionated, motivated, driven woman with a global platform. What, do you, what is your thought on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33? What is your thought on submitting to your husband? And she said, I completely agree. I completely agree with it. And so there was a follow-up question was, was, well, how does that work out in your marriage? She says, it works out beautifully. And she says, well, how can that be? And she goes, well, the answer is pretty simple. The, she says, the answer is pretty simple. I had to find a man that I would be willing to submit to. I had to find a man who wouldn't be intimidated by my success. And a man who wouldn't be intimidated by the gifts that God has given me, but actually find one who would want to see me flourish and that I would want to see him do well and be a leader in our family. I had to find, I had to find the right person. And God has blessed our marriage, and he's blessed our family, and he's blessed our kids. I think Janet's example gives an encouragement to those who are to single women, which is not to compromise and to be selective in who you marry. And not to give in to the pressures of the world and other things that go on there telling you who you should marry and your criteria that you should be. But rather, like Janice say, I had to find somebody who wouldn't be intimidated by me, but someone who would want to see me flourish and grow and prosper. What a beautiful picture of honoring God's design for marriage. And the call for us to delight in God's design. And to acknowledge that for us, to reject God's design, to reject God's command, to reject God's instruction in marriage is nothing less than a rejection of God himself. And we're called to honor God's design for marriage. The second reason that Paul gives in this passage is to honor not only God's design for marriage, but God's redemption of humanity in Christ Jesus. Notice the example that he gives here and the basis of it. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, to, should submit in everything to their husbands. That Paul 
immediately roots marriage not only in God's intention and creation, but he says marriage was actually designed to be a public demonstration of the redemption that God has accomplished. And not only as a public picture of it, but also a public pattern. That just as Christ Jesus loves his bride and loves his bride with a sacrificial love and gave himself up for her, just as Christ set his affection upon his bride, the question then is, well, how should the church respond to the love of Christ? The church is to respond by delighting in Christ, by honoring him, by living in response to his love, by doing all that it can to make him, to make Christ honored and beautiful and glorious. And that's the pattern that Paul gives for wives in marriage. He says, just as the church is to submit to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands, just as the church could never fulfill its purpose apart from honoring Christ. Could you imagine a church that doesn't honor Christ? Just as a a church could never fulfill its purpose apart from honoring Christ, a spirit-filled wife can never fulfill her purpose in marriage apart from honoring her husband. And just as the church could never be all that it was designed to be apart from following Christ's purposes, so too a spirit-filled wife can never be all that she was designed and redeemed to be apart from honoring and following her husband. And just as the church submits to the godly authority of Christ Jesus, so too spirit-filled wives submit to the godly authority of their husband. Just as the church becomes glorious, as the church becomes all that it was meant to be and all that it was redeemed to be, so that Christ might be honored, so a wife becomes more glorious as she uses her God-given gifts and ability to be all that who she was made to be and to honor and to, and to build up her husband. There's this misconceived notion about what submission looks like. And submission in marriage is, is not a call for wives to suppress their gifts, as Brian Chappell says, any more than it is a call for the church to suppress its gifts. In fact, submission is not the suppression of gifts and abilities, but as he writes, the full expression of them in behalf of another. That as we saw in part one and here in part two, each spouse is to use whatever gifts, role, authority given for the benefit of the other so that Christ might be honored. And it's flowing out of this that the second exhortation is given. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wives who are filled with the Spirit respect their husbands. Typically, women yearn for love and men for respect. Respect means to have regard for and to honor. And Spirit-filled wives are called to see the God-given role and responsibility of the husband and to pray for him in that role, to love him and to respect him for it. And if you want a husband who is worthy of respect, give him respect for the responsibility that God has given to him. Even if he's not very respectable. That's a pattern for all of life. I mean, consider what what are you to do? What is the God-honoring response of your relationship to the president, 
And regardless of what you think of the current president or regardless of what you think of the last president, if you were to walk into the Oval Office and you were to meet the president, what would you say? You would say, hello, Mr. President. Is it because the president, this one, that one, whatever, whatever your views and opinions are, is it because they're necessary, worthy of respect? Maybe, maybe not. But the position that they hold is. And God calls wives to submit to their, I'm sorry, to respect their husbands because of the God-given responsibility bestowed upon them. This issue of respect is something that I really don't think men or women see very well or are very aware of in particular. And I think part of that is because, one, there is such a pattern of wives disrespecting husbands that's so universal I mean, any movie, television show, or anything that you see about marriage is usually holds up the husband as some sort of buffoon that needs some sort of fixing, um, and the, you know, that's how television shows make up and set up their comedy routine. But let me give you an example of this within our own church. That was rather surprising to me, and I've got permission to share this story. There was a family that visited our church some time ago, and um, the family was immigrated to America. They're not from America. And in immigrating to America, they were a part of our church. They were both um, committed believers um, and desperate, you know, wanting to honor the Lord, wanting their family to be centered on Christ. And, you know, I affirm to them, so glad that you're at Cornerstone. How can we help you get connected? Here's our children's ministries. Here are our community groups and the like. We'd love to get you more connected in the church. Love for your kids to get to know other families in the church and what have you. I said, okay, that sounds nice. And I said, you know, one of the ways that that happens is that sometimes on Sunday afternoons, Kids from one family will go over and spend the afternoon with children from another family, and families will swap kids on Sunday afternoon. And so sometimes they do it after church and bring them back for the big gathering. It's just a way to get, get, just a way to, get to know each other. And they had this puzzled look on their face. And they said, well, I'm not sure if we want to do that. I was like, really? Why? Why not? And the wife said, I see how little the women here respect their husbands, and I don't know if I want my children in that environment. Whoa. Whoa. And so I think it's something that we, we don't see. And I think for husbands, there is, there is such a lack of respect. Um, <laughs> I would imagine that in some situations, if on the car ride home, some wife says, uh, you know, do you feel respected by me? The husband is like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Partly in because he's afraid of finding of the future disrespect that would become from saying that. <laughs> Because there's a vicious cycle that can start to create. And the calling here is for a wife is that a spirit-filled wife must never do or act or say anything to her husband or to their children or to their girlfriends that would diminish his respect. And last time in part one as we were examining the call of husbands to love their wife In a sanctifying way, the question that he asked husbands was to reflect upon, is my wife more like Christ? Is she more radiant? Is she more glorious because of me or despite me? And a question for wives, similarly from from this passage is, do I submit to my husband and do I respect him? Do my actions and my words and my attitude enable my husband to lead me and my family to a greater knowledge of God and to do it with joy, because it's a joy for him. 
Have I in everything submitted to my husband as my highest priority in my marriage? Do I show respect to my husband in such a way that when I speak about him to other people who don't know them, that their response is, you know what, I would really like to get to know your husband. The way you talk about him, that's somebody that I would really like to get to know. Are you showing, are you showing respect to your husband? And to not do so is really self-defeating because it creates an incredibly vicious cycle between the lack of respect and the lack of love, and these two things feed one another. Brian Chappell astutely identifies the dynamic and the, ten- the tension. He says, often a man's greatest temptation is to use the power of his position and physique to enforce dictatorial rule or to indulge in passive, self- passive self-absorption. Okay, the first dictatorial rule makes sense. What is passive self-absorption? I'm the man of the house. I want to sit on my butt. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to have to pay attention. This is my position. I'm out. He uses his position to engage in passive self-absorption. The wife, a woman's comparable temptation, is to use the power of words and emotions to diminish a husband's influence so that she has control of the home. And it feeds a vicious cycle, and it can start on either side. Because when a wife gives a biting remark, a complaint, a criticism, something that diminishes her husband, and does so in particular if she's manipulating it so that she can get her will and so that her will can be exerted, as he feels disrespected, he feels a little bit more stubborn, a little bit more entrenched. He withdraws. She's frustrated at the withdrawal. She's frustrated by the lack of response, the lack of leadership, and lack of contribution. And so then she gives, potentially, more criticism, more disrespect, which makes him say that, I don't want to do this anymore. And this cycle goes back and forth and becomes more and more, more, and more vicious. And the Apostle Paul rebukes both. He rebukes both perspectives. And it's charged to husbands, he says, husbands have no right to ignore or disregard their wife. And they have no right to ignore or disregard, but rather are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. They are to care for the wives as they care for themselves. And similarly, wives have no right to disrespect or disregard their husband, but rather submit to him and respect him. Because excuse me, because you love Jesus. And because you love Jesus and love your husband, you respect your husband. And while husbands, I think, don't realize how much their wives need love and affirmation, wives often don't realize how much husbands need and depend upon the respect of their wives. That for a man, when when things are going wrong, when things are going wrong at work, when they've lost their temper with their kids, when they have sinned in an embarrassing way, very often the one thing that keeps them going is the regard and the respect of their wife. And without it, it is utterly devastating. And so Paul calls husbands to love their wives and wives to respect their husbands. And he calls these two He gives women these exhortations to submit to your husband as to the Lord, to respect your husband out of reverence for Christ. Why? So that you would honor God's design, that you would honor God's redemption, so that your marriage as a spirit-filled husband and as a spirit-filled wife, so that your marriage would truly be a public display of the beauty between Christ Jesus 
and his church. So that people would look at your relationship and say, wow, that is so beautiful. There's something different about them. It's a reminder for us once again that your marriage is not simply for you. That your marriage is to be a public witness of the beauty of Christ and his church. That people would see your marriage and say, wow, the way that he loves her, I I understand the love of Christ for his people more clearly. I can see how Christ lays down his love. What a beautiful picture of that. And at the same time, for wives, by looking at your marriage, I can see the way that I, I know how to better honor Christ, even when, even when God calls me to do things in Scripture that I really think that I know better than, like all of us do. But wow, what a beautiful picture of a way that that wife is honoring her husband, even in some difficult times. What a beautiful picture of how I should worship the Lord. And I think as an encouragement is that for wives who have entrusted themselves to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for wives who freely and readily profess that what is my only hope in life and death, my only hope in life and death is that I am not my own, but that I belong body and soul to my precious Savior, my Lord Jesus Christ, and there is not a hair that can fall upon my head apart from his knowledge, as the Heidelberg Catechism says. That for women, for spirit-filled wives who profess that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul, both in life and death, to my precious Savior, Jesus Christ, they honor Christ, and they long to honor Christ, and they do so in part by honoring their husbands. And for spirit-filled women to honor Christ Jesus by submitting to and respecting their husbands is not a burden. It is not oppressive, but it is a joy. As many of you will attest, there is a freedom that comes from Christ Jesus as you entrust yourself to Christ. There is a freedom to love and respect because you entrust yourself to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Husbands, be filled with the Spirit and love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, be filled with the Spirit and submit to and respect your husbands out of reverence for Christ. May your marriages be filled with the Spirit. May your homes be filled with the Spirit. May your children so see the working of the Spirit in your life that they say, you know what, when I get married, that's what I want. And may it be evident and may it be beautiful in your home and to anyone who would see it and come to know you. Let's pray to that end. Father, we pray that your spirit would be at work, that you would make our marriages beautiful, that you would make our homes beautiful, that the sacrifice of a husband, the respect of a wife, that they would be attractive, and that other people would want to know you because they see you working in us and working through us. And yet, Lord, your word gives us such a high calling something that we fall so far short of. And Lord, we are keenly aware of how the sin and the vicious cycle feeds itself and hurts, uh, and, hurt, and hurts us and hurts one another. But Father, we pray for your intervention in our marriages. Lord, that our marriages would reflect the beauty of Christ in the church. 
that our marriage would give life the way that you give life to your church. And Father, for those here who are not married, Lord, we pray that you would bring them a spouse if they're not called to celibacy, that you would bring them a spouse that would make them whole in a new and profound way, and a spouse that would encourage them in a deeper worship and love of you. Lord, would you do that so that you would be honored and glorified? Father, for my brothers and sisters and friends here who are in hard places in their marriage, sometimes patterns that have gone on not only for days or weeks, but for months, sometimes for decades, and there's hurt and there's bitterness and resentment, we need the supernatural working of your spirit so that we would not rebel against your design, but rather that your spirit would work through it. And so, Father, where there is hurt and heartache, we pray for your redemption, for your spirit to renew, for your spirit to take broken things and make them beautiful, so that you would be honored and praised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We celebrate the Lord's Supper here this morning. We have this beautiful picture of what Christ has done. His selfless sacrifice, the way that Christ, out of love from before the foundation of the world, set his affection upon us so that he could give himself so that we could be set free. And so it was on the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper here this morning, there is time after we start off the time of silence, if you're not ready to come forward when the usher comes by, you can go a little bit later. Feel free to wait. But at the same time, it's a reminder that this table is not a table for those who are perfect, not a table for those who have got their act together, but it's a table for those who need the supernatural working of the Spirit in their lives because they know they don't have it together. And they need the supernatural working of the Spirit and God's grace to abound in their hearts and their lives so God would do something more glorious than they could do on their own. So if you are a believer in Christ, part of his church, that you've made a profession of faith and joined his bride for which he died, then come and be fed and be strengthened and renewed. And similarly, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Christ or you refuse to be united to the bride of Christ, it'd be good for you to use this time not to take these elements but to sit in your chair and to reflect upon what Christ has done and that you would cry out for him and for his love and redemption to be at work in your own life. But may this meal be an encouragement to your faith, an encouragement in your relationships, an encouragement in what Christ has done. Let's pray and set this time apart. Lord, we ask that you would use this meal to strengthen our souls, to encourage us in your grace. Lord, that this meal that you would supernaturally attend to it to bring greater redemption and renewal in our relationships, in our families, and in our marriages. Lord, thank you for the love that you have shown us through Christ Jesus. And may we, as your church, delight in you 
and rejoice in this meal and the sacrifice you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.